fundamentally your authentic self, your core beliefs, what you really love to do, that's just part of who you are. And I think that if you try to do something that goes against that, that you're going to be unhappy. Welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast focused on helping you overcome the challenges of making a major career change. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you figure out the steps you can take to move on in your career and make your professional ambitions a reality. In each episode, we'll be speaking with people who have an inspiring career story to share, learning from the brave leaps they took to pursue something new and helping you find the clarity, confidence, and courage to make your own brave decisions that improve your career and life. You can subscribe to this podcast by going to careerrelaunch.net where you can listen to all the latest episodes and get more useful resources to help you navigate your own career journey. Today, my guest is gonna talk about his decision to leave his job at Google to spend more time with his family and pursue some passion projects. We'll talk about respecting your authentic self and pursuing projects that feed your true interests. Afterwards, during today's mental fuel segment, I'll describe what happened when I decided to pursue a couple of my own side interests. My guest on today's show is David Polera, who's a senior business leader with over 16 years of marketing experience working for consumer-centric global companies, including Starbucks, Yum! Brands, Coca-Cola, and most recently, Google. As someone who strongly believes in the importance of mentorship, he serves as a director for the American Marketing Association's Mentor Exchange Advisory Board. He actively meets with young business leaders through the 10,000 Coffees Initiative, and he's currently co-authoring a book on mentorship scheduled to be published in late 2017. Now, I stumbled across David after reading a very insightful, honest blog post he wrote on the reasons why he left Google and why that decision was so difficult for him. So if you've ever struggled with the idea of walking away from a reputable company, I think you're going to really enjoy hearing his perspectives. He spoke with me from Toronto, Canada. Well, David, thanks so much for joining us today here on Career Relaunch. And I'm really excited to hear more about your transition and I know you've got a really interesting story, but I'd love to start off by just hearing a little bit more about what you're up to right now. Great. Thanks, Joseph. Thanks for having me. What I'm up to right now, I'm actually taking the opportunity to pursue a whole bunch of different opportunities, some passion projects that I've wanted to do for a while. And uh, it's really tough to do when you're working full time. For example, I've been working on a book for quite some time with a co-author and now I have some time to actually focus a little bit on that. I'm going to be teaching a course at my alma mater, the Schulich School of Business on the retail marketing starting in January. And so I'm able to do a lot of the prep work I need to do in order to be prepared for that. Last week, I had the opportunity to judge the Canadian Marketing Association Awards to act as a judge on that panel. And something that I normally, it's, it's pretty time intensive, but something that I have time to do now. Very cool. You sound like a really busy guy right now. Now, some people may know what a passion project is. For those listeners who aren't familiar with that term passion project, how do you define a passion project for yourself? When I had uh, direct reports, I would always ask them, if you won the lottery tomorrow, what would you do with your time? And I think that's a really revealing question about what actually makes people happy. The way I always answered that question is if I won the lottery tomorrow and I didn't have to work anymore, I would spend time teaching and I would spend time writing. I might do a little bit of traveling, but teaching and writing would be my passion projects. And so right now I'm actually getting the chance to do that. I don't have the luxury of having won the lottery, but I'm getting the chance to do some writing and to prepare to do some teaching. 
that's how I would define a passion project. What would you do if money weren't the primary motivator? Could you just tell us a little bit about your life before when you're at Google and what you're up to before this point? So I was uh, working at Google. Google is an extraordinary organization, but I was in a sales role and I'm not a sales guy. I'm a marketer. And throughout my career, I mean, I've had the privilege of working for a lot of really great companies. I've worked for Starbucks. I've worked for Yum! Brands. I've worked for Coca-Cola in various marketing capacities. I love marketing. I love the consumer. I love understanding the consumer and what they need. I love building brands. And the role that I was in didn't allow me to do a lot of that. I joined Google because it's Google. It's a fantastic organization. Everything I read about it, it's true. The people are all brilliant. But fundamentally, I just wasn't doing what I love to do. And frankly, I wasn't that good at it. That was just becoming really clear to me in the fact that I wasn't happy. And you know, you should be happy when you're working for an organization like Google. Was there anything else, David, you mentioned that you felt like you weren't good at sales? Was there anything else that convinced you that that was the case? The expectations from a salesperson are that you're meeting your quota first and foremost. And my colleagues, they'd come into the office and they'd say things like, hey, we just got an extra X thousand dollars of revenue. And they'd get really excited about that. And when I was able to do that, that's not what excited me. What excited me is when I worked with my client and they had a big problem and we were able to solve the problem. That was the win for me. You know, I would celebrate that win as, yes, we solved the problem. And I wouldn't even care how much revenue was attached to that. And that's a pretty big sign that you're not a sales guy. Okay. So you're at Google, you realize that this sales role isn't quite right for you. What did you start to think about doing next? I didn't immediately come to that conclusion. So my first instinct was to try to double down and try to get good at it. So I spoke with a lot of my, my US colleagues. They were really helpful. They kind of gave me some good tips. I spoke with a couple of senior people within the Toronto office where I worked, and they gave me some great pieces of advice to follow. Even after I did that, I found that I saw the path to success, and I just still realized that I wasn't going to be happy doing it. And that's really what prompted me to, to make the change. I would imagine that being at such an amazing company like Google, that the idea of walking away from that would be difficult. I'm just curious what was going through your head in terms of extracting yourself from such an amazing organization. It was an incredibly difficult decision. It was Google. It was literally one of my favorite companies. I had dreamed of working there for years and years. And so I didn't want to admit this. I almost saw it at first as a failure on my part. So it took some time to come to the conclusion that this wasn't a failure. This was just something that I wasn't meant to do. Google as an organization is great. I think that in the right role, I think Google would still be a tremendous opportunity. But the role that I was in was just not right for me. And that took some time. And I worked with an executive coach for a while to help me validate what I was feeling. I think that's what took so long. I think that in a, in a regular organization, I would have come to the conclusion much faster. And walking away, I mean, both from a culture perspective and from a financial perspective, is, it was really tough to do, but it was the right thing to do. A lot of people I speak to, and if they are in a company that they admire, 
one of the things that they try to do is what you're describing, which is to sort of mitigate the situation or maybe find a way to make it work. At which point did you realize that there was not going to be a way for you to make it work in another way at Google? I think it was a recognizing the trade-off that had to happen. I understand what I like to do in the course of a job and what I don't like to do. I like to solve problems. I like to come up with solutions. I like to manage people. I just realized that as I was speaking with more and more people about what it took to be successful, it didn't feel like me. One of the things you mentioned, David, in your article was an assault on your authentic self, which I think is what you're getting at there. Can you just explain what you meant by that when you said assault on your authentic self? I came up with that line because I feel like everybody has the person that they are when they're with the people they're most comfortable with. When you're with your loved ones, the people who know you best, that's the true you. I think that sometimes at work, you hide a little bit of that to fit in, to be a little less of an extreme personality sometimes. But fundamentally, your authentic self, your core beliefs, what you really love to do, that's just part of who you are. And I think that if you try to do something that goes against that, that you're going to be unhappy. If you have a set of values and you go and work for an organization that has a different set of values, Mm -hmm. you're not going to feel good about that. Now, that wasn't the case with Google. I think the culture fit and the values were very much aligned. But my authentic self is a marketer. And I was trying to be a sales guy. I was trying to be something that I actually wasn't. And so every day I, I came home feeling emotionally beaten up because I was trying so hard to be something that I wasn't. It sounds like you actually had quite a bit of self-awareness to know what it was that you did love to do, and you were courageous enough to pursue those passions. What do you say to people who aren't that clear on what it is that they love to do? Because I think that's one of the challenges is, is knowing whether or not this is just kind of a rough patch, or if this is actually the signal of a complete misfit in a role. I think everybody has a bad day and everybody has a bad week. And a lot of people even have bad months. Right. But if you're going repeatedly over and over and over where it's tough to get up, I call it the alarm clock test. You know, when you just start a new job and you're super excited to be there and you just can't wait, you leap out of bed, you wake up before your alarm. That's right. right. Yeah. You never hit snooze. The snooze button is just not something you ever do when you're excited about your work. Right. When you're less excited about your work and the alarm goes off and you're hitting snooze one, two, three, four times, that's kind of a subconscious signal that something's not right, that you're not excited. And when you're doing that for a prolonged period of time, that's like just one little example of something that you need to rethink about what you're doing. It's like one of those things that you can't ignore when you wake up each morning, whether you're feeling good or whether you're feeling bad about the day ahead. Yeah. And the other thing that I would say is that I have a a very supportive, very loving partner, my wife. And when you have supportive people around you who are willing to be honest with you, they'll let you know when you're not being your authentic self. My wife saw that I wasn't happy. She got to the point where, you know, I would leave really early in the day to catch the train. And so everybody was sleeping when I would go to work and I'd get home 
pretty late, just enough time to help give my kids a bath and put them to bed. And then I go back to work. And uh, my wife is like, you know, you're not happy and, and we're not seeing you very often. And if you're working hard at something that you love, it doesn't feel like work. It feels like just something that you're doing to pursue your passion. But when you're working hard at something that you don't love, then your days are really long. And uh, that's kind of the distinction. That's the mark of what you should and shouldn't be doing, I think. Did you come across any skeptics along the way as you decided to start to transition on the way out of uh, Google onto something else? There was only a very close circle of people that I trusted with the fact that I was struggling. I mean, it's never easy to admit that you're struggling with something. You know, we talked a little bit about self-awareness before. It's really difficult to draw that line to say, this isn't something that I can do really well. Right. And so you don't want to necessarily broadcast that to the world. I mean, I did write a blog post and broadcast it to the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, after the fact, yeah. But that was after the fact. Right. While you're in the moment, I think it's pretty natural to just put on a smiley face and work hard and just try to get past it. So there weren't a lot of skeptics because there weren't a lot of people that knew how I was feeling. But the people closest to me who did know, they love me and support me and they want me to be happy. And so it wasn't, what are you crazy? You have to stay. It doesn't matter whether you're happy or not. It's work. It was more about you need to do what you love because that's going to make you happy and you'll find something. Don't worry about leaving this opportunity because the next one will come along and it'll be great. Can you take us through what happened next for you as you started to transition out of Google? Once I left Google, I took a couple of weeks just for myself, spent some time with my kids. I have uh, three young children and just to recharge, you know, I had gone through 10 months of a very intense period and I just took a few weeks just to reset, figure out what I wanted to do next. And I think for me, the, the mapping and the planning of that was really important. I think one of the things that people struggle with and one of the tensions I hear about is whether you should leave your job before you have another job lined up. Now, I've been in both situations where I'll leave a job and I've got something conveniently lined up. And then I've also been in situations where I've left my job behind and I don't have something lined up. And for me, the latter was a lot more uncomfortable. I'd be curious what that was like for you to leave Google behind without having something lined up for you next. Uh, you know, I've been in both situations as well, and it's definitely better when you have something lined up. That you can <laughs> definitely feels better. Uh, yeah, it definitely feels better to say, you know, to hand in your letter of resignation, take a two week vacation and then start something new and <laughs> yeah. uh, not have to worry about uh, any discontinuation of pay or anything like that. Uh -huh. Yeah. But I think the choice that everybody has to make is, can you go on until you find something new? And in my situation where I just discovered that I was really unhappy in that sales role, I didn't want to go on. I didn't think it was fair to myself. I didn't think it was fair to my family who was seeing that I wasn't the best me I could be. And I didn't think it was fair to the company. I don't think it makes any sense for me to take up space, just taking the paycheck while I look for something else. I felt like I couldn't do a complete job search and give 110% to Google. And I didn't think that was even fair to them. So 
in my situation, I felt that the best thing for me to do was to leave and just have faith that I could translate that into another opportunity. Was there anything that was especially surprising about leaving and having a little bit of idle time? What's surprising is how much I've enjoyed it. I'm somewhat of a workaholic and you know, I'm going to have to get back to work at some point, <laughs> clearly, but just taking the time to, you know, we talked a little bit about earlier, pursuing those passion projects, playing with my kids and going out for coffees and doing a lot of networking with some really great people I know, just catching up. It's been phenomenal. And I didn't actually think that I would enjoy it as much as I did. You mentioned that alarm clock moment in the past. What is it like when you wake up right now? Well, I don't set an alarm a lot of days. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I think you, having, yeah. a, having a six-month-old, uh, that kind of takes care of that for Natural you. Natural <laughs> alarm clock, yeah. <laughs> That's right. But no, it's normally, I mean, my wife in the middle of the night has gotten my daughter, a six-month-old, and brought her into our bed. And so when I wake up to the little laughing and gurgling of my daughter lying beside me, I open my eyes and see her smiling face. It's just a surge of energy. It's funny how certain points in your life change your perspective. And having kids is definitely one of them. How did that change your perspectives? Having kids is a moment where you realize that there's something bigger than yourself. You now have a responsibility to these little people who are looking to you and you're their role model. I want to do what's best for them above what's best for myself. Now, some may argue staying in a job and getting a paycheck is what's best for them, but we're fine. I mean, we're pretty conservative with spending and, you know, we've saved up a little bit. So, you know, that's less of an issue than teaching my kids that you can go and love your job. And I have in the past loved my job. And when you don't love your job anymore, I don't want to teach my kids that you have to stick it out that it's okay to be unhappy for a paycheck. And I think that that changes your perspective. I think before I had kids and before I had that responsibility, I never would have thought that way. I know you've alluded to money and having the steady paycheck a couple of times here, David. Was there anything that you found surprising about not having a steady paycheck anymore and the impact, if any, that that's had on your life? If you have the opportunity to plan for it, that's key. You know, I didn't storm into the office one day and say, I quit and I'm done. You know, I knew that this is something that I was considering and I talked it over with my wife and we kind of sat down and figured out what the implications of that would be. And I think with the proper planning, it hasn't had a tremendous impact. At some point, you know, I think we all have to work, we all have to do something, but it hasn't been as devastating as, you know, it could potentially have been because I was able to plan for it. What's been the toughest part of making this transition for you? The most challenging part is just from the actual transition was trying to explain it to people who would never understand your decision in a million years. That was really difficult. How do you go about doing that? I know what you're talking about there, David, because you've got these people who just won't ever get it. You know, like they've got a certain perception of what one's career should look like. How did you go about explaining it to those people? I think most people can understand that there are some roles that you should be doing and some roles you shouldn't be doing. Mm -hmm. And I think that no matter who you are, 
I think if you took a look at yourself, you could say, these are the jobs where I would be happy. And I think I would be terrible at these jobs and I would be unhappy at these jobs. And I think if you frame it like that, that's a a much more powerful message. And people kind of get that a little better. When you look back on your career change, what's something that you wished you had known that you now know? I would say that I wish I was willing to take more risks earlier. You know, now I'm pretty comfortable with risk. I'm very comfortable with change. But earlier on in my career, I was a much more conservative player. I felt like I needed to have the linear career, start off as an assistant brand manager, be promoted to brand manager, go to senior brand manager. Right. <laughs> Most people think of their career in a linear fashion. And my career has been a lot of lateral moves, a lot of different industry changes, and it's worked out really well for me. And I wish I had kind of known that it could work out that way earlier on in my career, because I would have been less afraid to make changes. Do you have any advice for someone who is maybe in that sort of linear career and they're not feeling happy and they are hitting the snooze button four or five times a day? Any sort of career advice you'd offer that person? There's nothing wrong with a linear career per se. I have a lot of friends who have done it that way and they've been very successful and they're very happy. Mm Mm-hmm. When I was younger, I would be trapped by the thought of having a better title and title was a driver for me. And I became happier and I became more successful, frankly, when I stopped trying to collect titles and started trying to collect skills. When I evaluate opportunities, I look at what can I learn and what can I contribute? When I'm about to start a role, I think about what it'll look like when I end the role. And I say, what did I learn from that opportunity? And what was I able to contribute? Because really, those are the things that build your career and build your resume. If you're in a linear career path, recognize the point where you've stopped learning when you're doing the same old, same old, same old over and over again. That's, I think, when you need to make a change. And then just figure out, be honest with yourself about what you're really good at and what gaps you may have and go and try to fill those gaps. I want to wrap up today, David, by talking about, well, I wish we had time to talk about all your passion projects, but I definitely want to hear more about your book on mentorship, which I understand is scheduled to be published in 2017. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's a moving target. We're self-publishing and uh, we're targeting a late 2017 date. I'm working with a co-author, Dr. Alan Middleton from the Schulich School of Business, really well-known, really great guy, and who's had a terrific career. And I think for both of us, we feel very strongly about the concept of mentorship. We believe that you cannot be successful in any area without having people who have offered the benefit of their experience and their advice. And this applies across any field. And so what we're doing is we are interviewing a number of high-performing people, people who have accomplished a lot in their career across various industries and trying to figure out what part mentorship played in their success. Because I think life is too short to make all of the mistakes yourself. And I think that having people who are willing to give you their wisdom so that you don't have to make those same mistakes yourself is invaluable and essential to true career success. It's definitely one of those things that I know that sometimes I struggle with is reaching out when I actually need help with something. But when I have done it, it's really just saved me days of work 
because there's somebody out there who's probably already done it. Okay, so I lied. I also want to hear about one more of your passion projects here because right. you mentioned it. You're getting ready to teach an MBA course, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about this. I mean, uh, earlier in my career, I used to teach for Kaplan part-time, helping people learn how to score well on uh, the GMAT test, which is the test you need to take uh, in order to do your MBA. And I just, I really liked teaching. I really liked helping people understand things. And maybe that ties a little bit into my passion for mentorship and having people, you know, ask me about things and and allowing me to share those experiences. But teaching is something that I've always wanted to do. And as I mentioned earlier, if I had won the lottery, one of the things that I wanted to pursue is to be a professor. And so this opportunity came up where I graduated, the Schulich School of Business, to teach the course in retail marketing, which I think is such a dynamic area. The opportunity came up. I spoke with an old professor of mine who happens to be running the department now. And uh, this is the person who actually developed the course and has been teaching it for 10 years, wasn't able to do it anymore. They needed a professor and I put up my hand. I uh, wanted to step in. So I'm very excited about that. Very cool. Also, I think it's just great that you're dedicating so much of your time to pursuing some of these projects that also give back to other people, which I think is really fantastic. It was really interesting that they said that if you finish school when you're 20 years old and you work until you're 65, that's a 45-year career. And you can take that 45 years and split it into three different sections. And the first 15 years is all about learning and growing and building your skills. You just focus your time and energy in learning as much as you possibly can and building your base. And then the next 15 years is about benefiting from those, that first 15-year cycle. You know, that's when you're going to start to do really well in your career and get the titles and get the promotions and get the paychecks. And then the last 15 years is about giving back, giving back of your time, your money, your expertise, your experience. Not to say that you know those are hard lines in the sand each of those 15 years, but I think that that's a pretty good framework for how I want to build my career. You know, I'm in the second phase right now, and I'm always going to be learning. I love to learn, but I I also don't think that I need to wait another 15 years before I start giving back. Great. It's just been really interesting to hear about your career trajectory. I know you talked a lot about self-awareness, which is useful, and also the importance of planning. And it's also just cool to hear about what it's like to be pursuing some of your passion projects too. So I'll be looking out for that book and really just looking forward to seeing what you're up to next the next time we connect. That'd be great. Thanks, Joseph. I, I enjoyed our chat. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing David's thoughts on being true to yourself, collecting skills instead of titles, and the importance of giving and receiving mentorship. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'm going to share a couple examples of what happened when I decided to pursue a couple of my own side interests. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the episode with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge to help you move forward in your own career. So for today's Mental Fuel, I'm going to build on the idea David shared about pursuing some passion projects. And I thought I'd share two examples of what happened when I pursued my own side interests, one that ended up transpiring into something bigger and another that didn't really evolve into anything concrete, but in both cases, benefiting my life and my career career in ways I could not have predicted at the time. 
the first example was when I was working full time as a marketer in the corporate world. And during that time, I used to have direct reports and I used to be responsible for their performance reviews. But what I really enjoyed was the coaching and mentoring aspects of my job, not only coaching those on my team, but also others in the organization, which I know David also touched on during our conversation. So I decided one day to enroll in a professional coaching course in London. I did my training with the Coaches Training Institute, where I dedicated about one weekend a month for several months for the training. And I really enjoyed it. And that ended up laying down the foundation for the work I went on to do. Eventually, I started coaching some clients in the evenings and weekends as a side gig. And then I started to earn more income from it. And then I got my coaching certification through the International Coach Federation and eventually went on to leave my full-time job and launch my own career consultancy, which is what I still do today. So that's an example of how pursuing a side interest for me had a direct impact on the trajectory of my career. But I've also pursued side interests that didn't really amount to anything concrete, which is my second example. Many years ago, when I lived in Hawaii for about a year, I really got into salsa dancing of all things. And then a couple of years later, when I was working as a health policy consultant in Washington, D.C., I decided to become a salsa dance instructor on the side, which you may have heard me talk about in earlier episodes. I taught group salsa classes near DuPont Circle at the Gold's Gym there, and also at a Cuban nightclub there called Yuka, which is now sadly closed. I really loved teaching salsa dancing, but I didn't necessarily expect it to amount to anything concrete for my actual career, and it didn't. After I left DC, I taught a few more classes here and there during business school, but it kind of fizzled out after that. And even though salsa dancing didn't really turn into anything bigger for me, I can definitely now see how it still benefited my life. It pushed me outside of my comfort zone a little bit. I got a chance to meet some cool people, and it actually helped me get over the stage fright I used to have and feel much more comfortable in front of a crowd, which has become really useful in my professional life, especially because I spend a lot of time now hosting workshops and delivering keynote talks as a public speaker. Now, I'm telling you this because I think it's really important not to pressure yourself too much to feel like every single interest you explore has to transpire into something bigger for your career or your life. Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. Exploring an interest also doesn't mean you have to be doing a full-blown side hustle. Also using the term side interest here instead of the word passion because I think sometimes that word passion can feel a little bit out of reach. It's great if you do have a passion, but a lot of times you might not know what your passions are or even if you have any passions, which is totally normal and pretty common actually amongst the people I cross paths with. So don't worry too much if you don't have a passion per se. What is important is to allow yourself to explore the range of interests in your life. It could turn into something bigger. And in the worst case scenario, you'll get a chance to feed your soul and exercise your brain in a way that's different from what you're focused on in your day job. And you just never know where it's going to take you. I always try to remember these words from Kurt Vonnegut, to practice any art, no matter how well or badly, is to make your soul grow. So do it. So my challenge to you is to first of all, give yourself permission to explore one of your side interests and then to actually do something about it. What's one small concrete step you will commit to taking today to finally get moving on that side interest or project you've been toying with for so long? 
Now, if after hearing this episode, you've decided to commit to pursuing one of your side interests, I'd love to hear about your plans at careerrelaunch.net slash episode 17. You can leave a comment there, ask me a question you want addressed in a future episode, and also find a recap of today's episode with a link to David's blog post. While you're there, if you enjoy this podcast, I'd really appreciate you leaving me a positive five-star review for Career Relaunch on iTunes. It only takes a couple minutes and every single review really helps this show reach more people like you and grow our community. You can find the link to do that right there at careerrelaunch.net slash episode 17. Thanks so much for subscribing to Career Relaunch and a special thanks today to David Polera for sharing his story. This episode was mixed by Richard Pennington, Electrocardiogram wrote and performed our original theme song. I'm Joseph Liu, and I'll see you next time.